For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy Fantasy Podcast. With your hosts, Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Welcome into the TDN Fantasy Podcast, and welcome to the last podcast before the end of the 2019-2020 NFL season. It's crazy to think that we are just two days away from the Super Bowl, two days away uh, from the NFL season coming to an end. Uh, the Niners and the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, as Jake, you said on the show all along, it feels like this season just flew by, right? It, yeah, I don't even know where it went. Like, I feel like I feel like we're just getting to like know these teams in September. Maybe it's because it was such a crazy season, so hard to pick games, and we end up having a hell of a year doing it. But man, it was tough. I think the worst year, the worst week I'd had going into this year was like seven and nine, six and ten it was like the worst ever. I had like three, four and twelve weeks, and then bounced back with you know thirteen win weeks. Uh, you stayed really steady, but man, it was such a tough year. I think that's part of why it flew by so much. There was so much parity. And you couldn't be happier with the two teams that we have in the Super Bowl, the type of matchup it is, but two of the best teams that we had all year, two of the most consistent, two of the hottest, uh, you know, two, a lot of the best storylines, which we'll get into, but man, did it fly by is an understatement. Yeah, it, again, it doesn't feel like that long ago. I mean, we were talking about, okay, well, what is Ryan Tannehill, who's just getting this job, going to do for the team? That was week seven. Like, it, it just, it feels like... It doesn't feel like it was that long ago. Uh, it's really, really crazy run here. A, a kind of a changing of the guard, as we talked about in the postseason, kind of seeing you know, the teams that we were very used to seeing at the top of the league and playing on conference championship weekend like the Patriots uh, not being there. So it, it's been really exciting to see. But uh, before we get into the big game on Sunday, there are a couple pieces of news that we should get into and get out of the way, and then we'll spend the rest of the show focusing on the Niners and the Chiefs. Uh, the first one is tight end Greg Olson and the Panthers parting ways, which, as you said before the show, is an interesting way to put it when you're dealing with a player. Uh, what are you reading into this, Jake? And do you think he plays football next year or does he go to the booth? I think he's going to go to the booth. I think Greg's done. I think Greg's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's spectacular and he's so good on TV. He's so good. He's not one of these guys that has a monster name and they just put in the booth and he's terrible. He's really, really good. But it was so weird to me that the way that they put it, it's basically like, Greg, I, I've been here my whole career for, for the most part. Um, but like, but I don't want to play for you anymore. Like Ron Rivera, this is like the Ron Rivera effect of being gone. These guys don't want to play for this new regime. He doesn't want to come play for somebody else, learn a new offense. So to say parting ways, he's leaving the option open to go play somewhere else. I kind of hope he doesn't because his foot has been an issue and he's a phenomenal player, a great dude. I have so much respect for the man Greg Olson is. Uh, it's just a weird way to put it. This, I don't know when we got into this, like with the whole coaching thing on Black Monday, they agreed to part ways or uh, resign. You got fired. Like It's probably the, them saying to you also, you're old, you make a lot of money, we're moving on, we're rebuilding this whole thing. Like We wish you the best, thanks for what you did, but you know, I, I think that's where the, the – 
the parting ways comes from. It's just it's put really weird to me. Uh, but I wish him nothing but the best, man. I hope he does go in the booth because he's awesome. Yeah, finishes if this is the end of his career, finishes with 718 catches uh, for a little over 8,400 yards and 59 touchdowns. Uh, again, just a true. I mean, if you think back to some of the, the the amazing seasons that he had, pretty much from 2012 to 2016 in Carolina. Uh, when he really started to come into his own, he was an amazing player to watch, amazing fantasy player, one of those guys that was always kind of hanging around the top five in drafts, uh, pretty consistent throughout the years. But he has been dealing with a number of injuries lately. Uh, he played 14 games last year, but only played 16 games combined in the two years prior. So uh, That it, foot, man, we talk about those yeah. feet all the time. He had that foot. They, they linger, especially older guys. and You just can't ever really get over it and be the same. He played the whole career with, with Cam Newton. As Cam's like ultimate safety blanket, but like imagine if he played in his prime with some of these offenses that Kittle and, and Kelsey are playing in. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, definitely, I definitely should be in Hall of Fame considerations for me. Uh, I, I I don't see how you can argue otherwise. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see, and I'm excited to see what you know what is what his path takes. We have an interesting free agent year for the booth as well because we're hearing all of these rumors about how much money Tony Romo might get if he goes to ESPN or how much CBS can match and. So there's there's uh, this free agency has carried over to not just on the field but to off the field as well. So we will see where Greg Olson lands, and we'll see if he's uh, coming to our into our living rooms via a television screen uh, for the 2020 season. Uh, speaking of players that are getting up there in age but want to come back, Frank Gore intends to play his 16th season in 2020. Uh, as I said to you in the pre-show, God bless him. Um, I was I don't, say, good, good luck and God bless, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't – watching him play in the end of this year, I'm not sure he's got a ton left. I mean, he physically can play, but I, I'm not sure – I mean, if he wants to just play to play or play to mentor, sure, there's a role for him. But I'm not sure there's a 10 to 12 touches a game role for him in the league anymore. No, I don't even think there's a 45-man active on Sunday role for him at this point. I mean, maybe – some team is desperate. He knows the offense. He could play for a couple games if you get some injuries, i.e. Kansas City this year, um, you know, if somebody's hurting that bad. But I can't imagine he's going to be anything other than a second running back coach role, and he's not going to be active on Sundays very much unless you just have to have him because you're banged up. But look, man, I hope he does. I hope he gets a couple more carries. Just another guy that I don't know how you can argue the Hall of Fame. The, the, the power numbers were never like – he was never like Adrian Peterson for four years, right? But longevity, total numbers, they have to count. I do agree with Deion Sanders. I think we're letting too many people into the Hall of Fame. But, um, dude, he's been phenomenal for so long. Like, this is – the numbers are insane. He passed Barry Sanders. Yeah. I mean, like, what? to me, there's a couple things. Like, the eyeball test is he's a Hall of Famer or not. And then you have, like, some of those that are, like, those kind of numbers that he's third behind Barry Sanders. Uh oh yeah yeah then that's then that's pretty much seals the deal. Yeah yeah and and I think and we've made this point in the podcast before like there there are different paths to get into the Hall of Fame and sometimes it's a, a spectacular peak uh, like a Barry Sanders for example or the argument that's going to go for Calvin Johnson a spectacular peak but then there's also something to be said for guys that can weather the storm over 10, 12, 15, maybe even for Frank Gore next year a sixteenth season. And put up numbers that are among the all-time greats. I don't think you should be penalized because you played long. Now, if you've played 16 years and your numbers are barely good enough, then yeah, no, I think then yeah, then there's no say, there's no chance. Yeah, like if you're 10 or 12 on the list, no. Yeah, like, or, like or, Barry or, Sanders like, played 10 years and he was third. You're now yeah. third. 
right? Like, and you're, that's a great point about Calvin Johnson because that's the first thing I said. When you watch them play, does it say Hall of Famer? Hell to the yes. Now, he was a lot like Barry. He retired early, but Calvin Johnson's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, there are different ways to get into the Hall of Fame. There are guys that just, I mean, there, then there's the third way, which we've seen. There's like the Lynn Swan effect where you just have just massive postseason runs. That people go, you know what? And, and you see that a lot more in baseball than you do in football. But you have yeah. guys that make massive postseason runs that go, you know, you can't tell the story of this game without talking about this player and what they were able to do in crunch time. So there are a lot of different ways to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, and look, I, I just I don't know how you can argue that Frank Gore doesn't deserve to be there. No, and that's the one thing I do love, the difference in football and baseball. Like in baseball, you got to have the numbers. Baseball, the historical numbers game, there's no way you're getting in without the numbers, right? Football, I do love the fact that you have some guys that it's not all about the numbers. On the on the flip side of that, Rondé Barber has the numbers and transformed the nickel position, which is now one of the most important things on defense, and still not in. Zondi wasn't even a finalist. Like they, yeah. you, it kind of can hurt you as well, but you put Rondé Barber's numbers up against any corner that's in the league, and he deserves to get in. Yeah, and I think sometimes what yeah what happens in the on the NFL side that doesn't happen in baseball is. You almost get hurt by position sometimes because they're comparing things, especially now. And and I'm very interested to see, actually, this is a complete tangent, but how we've kind of switched in the last 10 to 15 years to more so of this edge rusher, off-ball linebacker versus more traditional, you know, Sam Will, in the sense of how these guys are looked at compared to Hall of Famers. Because you sometimes, if you're a nickel corner or or, or if you're like a – slot receiver or you somebody else somebody in these scenarios where they compare your numbers to somebody that basically played a different position than you but it was similar enough in the way the name is described that you get hurt you just know, like, like the well, stupid all pro stuff yeah like, like, how, like, how could tj watt be a first team all pro edge rusher and a second team all pro linebacker you yes. can't it's the same damn position pick one like yeah. they have to transform that we're like in baseball it's like okay you can compare this shortstop to these other shortstops Right. And they've been asked to do the same things defensively and all the other stuff where now the linebacker position is, is, is so much different than it was 10 or 15 years ago. What you're asked to do, what the position is called. I mean, there's so many things that it's going to be interesting to see in 5, 10, 15 years what the Hall of Fame conversation around those guys are like. Or even guys like – or even when we start talking about wide receivers, talking about slot guys. You know, where, where do the you – know, The game the, has evolved, right? It's a passing, passing game. Yeah, you're exactly right. Like the slot receiver – and the flip side of that, nobody's in base defense. Everybody has a nickel yeah. corner on the field. Then it has become vitally important. Yeah, I mean, vitally, we're, vitally important. Like we're it's, seeing teams put their best corner if they can play the position at nickel. Like we're seeing, like the the, the Kyle Fuller's types of the world, of, or Ken, even Kendall Fuller, the Fuller brothers. Uh, they're playing at a high level inside. Like that's where they need them to play. And if that's the case, how does Ronnie Barber got not get in? He basically yeah. he, he became the guy, and his numbers are insane. Yeah, it's just it's going to be really interesting. I'm I'm interested to see how these debates uh, start to change over the next decade or two as we start talking about some of the different positions and different ways we're using players now. Uh, you know, to me, I think the great way point about the slot guys, man. That's that's going to be the problem with the slot guys. Not of that we go back to the longevity thing. Not a lot of them played in that position for a long, long time and put up crazy numbers. A lot of them had four or five year flash in the pan, yeah, phenomenal careers. But it's hard to play in there. For a long time, you had a lot of outside guys like Larry Fitzgerald that, that couldn't play outside anymore that move in the slot and extend that career for you know a longer time. But the guys that start in the slot are smaller guys. They get banged up. They don't play as long. But it would be really interesting to see how that's looked at because it has become a giant part of the game. 
Yeah, and like the only name that comes to mind, the first thing that comes to mind for me right now is Wes Welker when we talk about that slot role yeah. and, and just accumulating just the, the massive target and catch volume that he had. But, you know, it's tough to compare what he's been asked to do with what, you know, Randy Moss or Marvin Harrison were asked to do. I mean, they were playing completely different positions. I know they're called wide receivers, but they were playing completely different positions and had completely different tasks and things they had to do in different defenses they were facing. So it's going to be interesting to see because I, I don't think there, there's a lot more gray area, I think, position-wise in the NFL now than there was 20 years ago. There's yeah, and you've, you've even got this slot that's kind of morphed into the Chris Godwin now, right? Yeah. Where Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Heinz Ward went in the slot. Reggie Wayne went in the slot, but they were outside guys. And then my dad kind of did it with Larry, but now Chris is early on in his career. He was an outside guy that's he plays a little outside, but he's the slot motion guy and the numbers that he was putting up this year and will continue to put up in this offense. If he plays in, the, in this kind of offense for another eight or ten years – because you're talking about a bigger guy. Traditionally, yeah. the slot guys were little, quick, come out of your break, four or five catches, a little run after the catch, that kind of stuff. That's kind of morphing into some of these bigger, maybe not as fast guys coming out, but really good hands that are really physical, like Chris. Um, I mean, Chris can run, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying some of these other guys coming out of college, you're looking at guys and going, okay, he's going to fit some of these offenses in the slot, physical, big, play it against zone, all that kind of stuff. It is going to be really interesting to see how that, that kind of turns into yeah, because I mean, I was I was a guy coming when AJ Brown came out. I mean, if, if Adam Humphreys, they weren't paying Adam Humphreys a lot of money, I'd be really intrigued to see AJ Brown line up in the slot and see oh. what he could do in that role. Like, I think he could be like a game breaker in that spot. Now, you have paid Adam Humphreys a ton of money to do that, but you know, there I think teams are going to get the perfect example of what I was saying. Though, literally, the perfect you have the a little slot guy that's quick, and, and like Humphreys catches in the, in the AFC Championship are like three yards, four yards, five yards, first down, first down, first down. Where AJ Brown is take it to the crib. But a monster in there. How are you coming a linebacker or safety? No. You put a corner in there and he runs him over because he's, you know, he's blocking. Like it, that's a great example of exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. So, again, it, it's really interesting. And uh, I'm, it's, uh, it's exciting. Something that's kind of like an undercurrent to kind of watch in the, in the background over the next few years to kind of see how those conversations start to shift, particularly among the people that actually have a say in who gets to go in the Hall of Fame and whatnot. But, uh, Let's start to uh, – before we move into the game, there's one more other piece of news I want to talk about. Uh, Tua, Tua Tangovaloa's agent, uh, basically came out uh, and said that uh, the hope is that Tua would sit uh, and not start in year one. Here's the full quote. Uh, if you look at Aaron Rodgers, Carson Palmer, Phillip Rivers, none of them started the first year, and my wish for Tua would be that he would go to a team that would give him a year to learn the system and do everything before the pressure of being a starting quarterback was upon him. That is from Tua's agent. I agree. I mean, ideally, that's the case. The problem is the teams that need him. I mean, ideally, it'd be the Dolphins and Fitzpatrick plays one more year. Uh, I I can't imagine if the Lions take him at three and trade Stafford that he sits. I, I, he's going to play. Uh, so ideally, you'd love to see unless unless the health isn't quite there, right? Ideally, I think you'd love to give him a full year to get healthy, a full year to practice in the NFL, get used to living in a new city. The being a professional, not being on the college campus, all the things that go along with that. Ideally, that's what you'd want. Uh, at least eight games, if not the whole season. But, you know, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. It's just if some of these teams, i.e. Detroit, do decide to do that, I think he's going to be playing pretty quick. And I, I don't know how long you're going to get that if he's healthy. Yeah, and the reality is, is, yes, ideally, that is what you want in general. Even if there was no injury concerns, even if his, his hip was completely healthy right this very second, that would still be the ideal situation. But I think that's probably the situation with a lot of these guys other than Joe Burrow. Yeah. And look, Jordan Love's not ready to play right now. I don't no. think he's ready to play right now. Herbert, 
maybe, but then none of these guys play in a, in a pro style offense other than Burrow. Like, and, and he, and he's much more ready to play. He goes under center at least. And when has sitting for a year or a half year or a year and a half and learning ever hurt anyone? Like I've n- nobody's ever went, Oh yeah. You know what? This guy would have been a star quarterback, but he had to sit on the bench for his first season. You have a it's lot more examples happened. of the opposite, right? Yes, of guys playing and getting ruined other than sitting there and been having that, that ability. The problem is, you know, this might be the perfect year for that. There's so many veteran guys that are getting late that might play somewhere else, Phillip Rivers, that you could draft somebody behind them, give them a year, maybe two. The other problem is you got to have a really stable coach in front office that if you, your first round pick is not going to play for a year, year and a half, especially if it's a top 10 pick. Yeah. I, yeah but, I mean, you're missing, you're you're missing a guaranteed starter, potential pro bowler that's not on your field for a year. So you got to have a really stable ownership, management, head coach group that's fine with that, or that coach is getting whacked before the player ever plays. Well, then that's the concern. Like that would be the concern in Detroit, for example, because I can't imagine Matt Patricia is on that uh, that unshaky of ground at this point. And if they're losing, and there's going to be rumors, like let's say hypothetically they take two or three, I mean, if they start out one and four, you're going to start hearing it. You're going to hear it before then. Uh, that might buy them some time. Yeah. If if they have the rookie, right? If if Stafford's gone and they go to the rookie, there's no expectations there. So if we'll Stafford's see. there, if Stafford's there, your expectations are win now. Yeah, or at least be better than you've been. I mean, there's there's that's still not good enough for the fan base at this point. No, well, but there's more, there's more there's more talent on that team than what the record has been the last couple of years. Like I just oh yeah, no, I don't think you can I don't think you can argue that. I'm just saying like Stafford's elite. So like if he's the quarterback, your expectations are we have a franchise quarterback. There's been teams that win 10, 12 games with nothing else, i.e. Aaron Rodgers. If you play with a rookie, there's no expectations. That might, yeah, might elongate the, uh, the window for the head coach and the GM who are tied together there. Yeah, that's a good point, but we'll see. But I, I'm with you. I, I agree completely. Pair one of these guys, uh, pretty much pair any non-Joe Burrow quarterback with a veteran. And, and just take all the pressure off them to play year one, whether they have the injury concern like Tua or not. I but just Jared Goff, man, that first year, if you, you are a not ever under center, never in a huddle, that is a giant transition. Like, I, I grew up playing quarterback. So, like, I was in a huddle. You, you, you look at the guys. You, you call the snap count in the huddle. You have the inflection in your voice. You change the, like, all that stuff. They don't do that in college anymore. That's a big transition for one OTA offseason training camp to call the play in the huddle. Like, and not like you, you, so famously on Hard Knocks, Jared Goff, like, can't, couldn't do it. Like, it was, it was a struggle, right? That's a big transition for these guys that just go out there, look at the sideline, say hut, read half the field, or slap their hands in college. It, it, it's a big transition. And not, none of these guys are than Burrow already. And he's still going to have a giant learning curve. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's going to be interesting. Oh, and by the way, n- not that uh, this is a surprise at all, but uh, Brian Fitzpatrick, they were talking to him down on, on Radio Row, uh, and he was he pretty much said he would be eager to help out if they draft Tua to mentor him. Uh, quote, I really enjoy helping younger guys out because this league is about playing it forward a little bit. Uh, there were guys who helped me out when I was young, and I have no problem with that when asked about uh, if he would be. because no, that means he's the starter for one more year. Yeah. He's all, he's all about that. Yeah, not, not all about himself. I love Fitz, man. That, that's awesome. And I agree with him wholeheartedly. But that's that that's perfect for him. That means he's another year of a, of a starting quarterback in the NFL. It, it just it makes – again, a lot of things have to happen to, to make this work. But in terms of draft and people trading up or not trading up. But uh, that just seems to be like the fit that makes the most sense. Sitting behind Fitzpatrick for a year who did everything to say that he deserves to be 
uh, the starting quarterback next year. And by all accounts, from coming from Miami, they're like, the job is his if he wants to come back and play. Like, he's under contract. They're like, yeah, yeah you're the no, starter. Like, Miami has three first-round picks, so they can afford to draft two and, and the way Flores coached this year. That's the perfect situation all the way around if he gets to five. Detroit, yeah, Detroit doesn't want to move on from Stafford. They are primed to move on from that pick. Yeah, that that's interesting because that, that – Again, I, I think the, the Redskins are going to be locked in at two with Young. I think the Giants are going to be locked in at four with whatever they want to do. But uh, the, that Lions pick is, is the pivotal pick. I know you've been saying that for some time, but that's the pivotal pick because that could get traded. That could be them taking the quarterback. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, I, mean I, don't, I don't think you want to put yourself in a – again, it's different because you're dealing with Stafford versus like a Josh Rosen, for example. But I think you want to move that – you want to move Stafford before you make that pick there because you kill some of your leverage if you've already taken the quarterback at that point. But oh yeah, but boy, that's it's going to be interesting. So, uh, but we'll get into that. That that's all the off season stuff. We've got plenty of time to talk about the off season. We've got a few more days to talk about this season. Uh, so this last piece of news will lead us into talking about the game uh, on Radio Row when he was talking about uh, his future. Chiefs receiver Sammy Watkins kind of floated out there that if they win, he could just chill next year kind of take a year off uh jake what do you read into that do you think he will do it do you think that the, the outcome of the game will make it the, the determination about whether he does it uh what are your thoughts about sammy Watkins kind of floating that out there in the middle of the week i think if he floats it out there and he's serious he might as well go ahead and retire because if he sits out a year he's never coming back if he does it's going to be a piece of a good team that he doesn't even play uh, kind of the frank gore we were talking about all it tells me is that foot never got healthy had a monster week one, didn't catch a touchdown again until the AFC Championship. You know, he's been, he's a $16 million guy. He's a giant payroll for a receiver who's like their third or fourth best option. He ain't coming back to Kansas City regardless. I think part of that is, is that. The other part of that, I don't think that foot ever got healthy. I don't think he's ever going to be healthy. I don't think he's ever going to be the same for a full season. Um, and if he wins, maybe he's foreshadowing, just hanging it up. He's made a ton of money. He was the third overall pick. So I don't think that's an issue. And then he got a second contract. So maybe it's just uh, I'm going to be done or I'll take 20 off to see if I ever want to come back. But he ain't coming back to Kansas City for that number for sure. No, and it's I'm with you. I feel like when guys like this take a year off, like this is – Sammy Watkins is a good player, but he's not a great player. He should have been. He's an intended player. He should be, but he hasn't been, and he's never been, and I don't no. think he ever will be. Like, no. I mean, the, the idea of Sammy Watkins has still always been better than Sammy Watkins. But when those types of players take – if they take a year off and come back, what is he going to get, a veteran minimum deal to go to go battle in training camp to be the third or fourth wide receiver somewhere? Like, I just – That I, would be it. That would right? be it. Like, that would be it. If he gets to training camp, I'm taking a year off, and that foot is not right, then he's done. Yeah, so – he might be done regardless if he wants to be or not. I don't. I don't know. I think that might be if he wants to come back next year. I think that's all he's getting is a veteran minimum, come back, prove it, stay healthy kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I take everything that guys say about this at this time of year a little bit with a grain of salt. They're beat up. They yeah, nobody wants to keep playing us this time of year. Yeah, that's like they all think about retiring, whether it's your first or twentieth year. Yeah, it's like everybody's hurt. Everybody's beat up. Everybody's feeling like, oh, you know. We're excited to be in the Super Bowl. We're excited to be there, but your body is feeling it. I mean, because now not only have you played, you know, through the sixteen regular season games, and if you played any time in the preseason, but now you've played through either two or three playoff games, and have another one on this on the slate for you. Uh, so I get it, but it's also I, I, wait and see on that. But if he's actually hurt and needs to take time off, by all means, go go take the time off. But 
Uh, again, I just take everything that's said this time of year in regards to that um, it, it with just a big grain of salt because I don't blame them. Like I would, again, I, I, I would have one carry in my life. I would get one NFL carry and then I would die and never play again. So like I can't even imagine what going through a 17, 19, 20 game NFL season must possibly feel like uh, on the body. So, and we're talking about another guy with a Liz Frank foot injury that never came back and was never the same. Yeah. You hear those, those, those words together. And you're and you're a fan of that team and that player. Be f- afraid. Be very afraid. Like it, it is. I've said it all year. I've said it for years. That is not what you want to hear, especially if they're a big dude like Sammy Watkins, Cam Newton, it, Greg Olson. We just talked about like the guys that get these freaky little weird Liz Frank injuries. The first time I ever heard it was Santonio Holmes, and they they used to do surgery on it, or they'd wait and then they do it, and you're just never the same guy. And if that's the case, I think that's probably it for Sammy. Yeah. And again, and, you know, there's, there's teams he fits with. I mean, you go look at who's going to have the, the best receiving course in football. And if he's going to be the five on that team and not play special teams, but he's a big guy that fits what everybody else wants to do so he could play three or four positions, I, I could see that being a veteran minimum on a guy that maybe knows the offense, knew one of the assistant coaches, you know, any of that kind of stuff. That works. But other than that, I can't see it. Yeah, I mean, look, he's he's good enough to play in the league, even if he takes a year off. But he's not good enough to play a prominent role in that scenario when he comes back. No, that like if Green Bay different. Green Bay drafts one or two, or they get a free agent, and he's going to be the four or the five there with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you know, that makes a lot of sense. He doesn't have to play, but if they have one injury, he steps in, and you're stepping in a proven pro veteran guy. I can see that happening, right? I, those kind of things, but. I just think if he takes a year off, he's going to be very limited in what he can do coming back. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, again, I, I think, you know, if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, that changes some things. Because I imagine if you're already hurting, you feel like you got to get healthy, being able to accomplish the biggest goal you have in the sport, uh, I think that would kind of help you make that decision one way or the other. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, let's get into the game finally. I know we've been teasing it all week. We talked about prop bets. We talked about all the news around it. Uh, not a ton of injuries going in this game. It looks like the only major question mark will be Tevin Coleman, who's been limited at practice uh, all week. Obviously, he suffered that that scary-looking shoulder injury in the NFC Championship game. Uh, the Niners and the Chiefs. The Chiefs are one-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, they have been kind of holding steady there. They uh, opened at most books. I know things get weird sometimes right at opening, but they've been pretty much either one or one-and-a-half-point favorites all week. The only thing that's moved is the totals all the way up to 55-and-a-half because people have been hammering the over. Uh, but, Jake, what do you think about this matchup as we go, as we break this down? Best, my, for my money, the best defense in the NFL this year, best offense in the NFL this year, so much talent. Uh, what are you expecting on Sunday? I'm going to throw out my, my prediction, and then we'll talk about all this. I'm going to go with the Chiefs to cover that 27-24. Uh, I'm giving this, the Niners credit because the Chiefs score 30 on everybody. So the fact that I'm saying they're not going to score 30 means the Niners defense is going to play good. I am expecting a little bit of a shootout. I'm expecting Jimmy G to have to do a lot here. Uh, Kansas City's defense, if you look at the first half of the season versus the second half of the season, completely different. First year, Steve Spagnuolo, that defense got a lot better throughout the year. Um, I'm going to take the Chiefs to cover. I think my, my biggest thing is, man, you know, I go head coach Andy Reid coming off a bye, quarterback Mahomes better. That tandem together, head coach, quarterbacks, you know how I feel about that. Um, I'm giving, I love Kyle Shanahan. I love this defense. I love what they're doing, but you give me the head coach quarterback combo in the Super Bowl, Andy Reid coming off a week, a week and we'll break it all down more than this, but that's, that's my prediction. 
Yeah, I have it very similar. I have 27-23 Kansas City. Uh, they're going to – San Francisco's going to be able to slow down the Chiefs a little bit, but I don't think they're going to be able to shut them down. Uh, I still think you, you can beat the Niners on the opposite side of Richard Sherman, which they've done. They have enough weapons. They're not going to be able to cover Hill and Kelsey and everybody else on that offense. Uh, they'll be able to shut down the run game a little bit. Uh, I, I don't expect a big game from Damian Williams, but if the Chiefs just run it enough or use these little short little dump-off pass screen games, enough to kind of, as a proxy, uh, they'll be able to get the job done. I, I love what San Francisco's done this year, but if you, this, this game, like you said, comes down to me of Andy Reid gets an extra week. And if I have to trust one quarterback to make a drive for me late in the fourth quarter in a game tied or within a touchdown, I'm going to take Patrick Mahomes, who we said all season is the best quarterback in football period. That's I'm not knocking Jimmy Garoppolo, but Jimmy Garoppolo isn't one of the five best quarterbacks in football. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in football. I'm going to take him. I'm going to take Andy Reid and the veteran that they get. They're able to get this job done in a close game. Uh, because, but I, I'm really excited for this matchup because I, I love. Uh, n- not that San Francisco's offense versus Kansas City's defense is a bad matchup, but the prime time get your popcorn uh, glued to the screen is every time KC has the ball and every time San Francisco puts that defense out there is going to be a must watch sequence. Every drive. I couldn't agree more. I mean, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, what are we going to see? San Francisco is going to do what they do. They're playing zone. They're going to rush those front four. They're going to rotate those six or seven guys that can get after the passer. The problem is Mahomes is healthy. He's watched a ton of film. And he can get out of the pocket. That's going to kill them. So if one of those guys comes a little bit too deep on that rush, or they get a little bit hesitant because they don't want to run past him and let him out of the pocket, now you're talking about Kelsey Hill, these guys that have that, that connection with Mahomes sitting down in the zone, eight yards, 12 yards, 15 yards, whoop, safety jumped, 20-yard, 50-yard bomb, touchdown. Like I think they're going to play good enough to hold them under 40, but Kansas City scores 31 to 35 on everybody. So if they hold them to 27, that defense played pretty damn good. I think they will, and I think they will get to Patrick Mahomes at times, and maybe they get a sack fumble. I just don't think it's going to be enough to hold them under that. Flip that over. Kansas City's defense has given up 4.1 yards a rush on defense in the playoffs. That's been damn good. For, for the season, that probably puts you middle of the pack. But when San Francisco's averaging 6.5, if they hold them to six, they hold them to 4.1, they did a hell of a job. Chris Jones getting healthy is going to be huge for this defense. Um, and Jimmy Garoppolo, we've talked about, do you trust him? Number one QBR in the NFL in the fourth quarter when trailing. Number one QBR in the NFL when trailing, period. He's been there, but I think, you know, the, with the over-unders, like him on like 24 and a half pass attempts or something like that, I, I have to take the over if they're going to hang in there. And I think they're going to have to do that. He's going to have to play well, or they're not going to be able to hang in within 10 points of Kansas City. I just can't see a defense that's going to hold Kansas City under 27 points. I just, I can't imagine, unless they sack him 10 times and there's like three sack fumbles, I just can't imagine it. Yeah, and a couple of points in that. With the Jimmy Garoppolo, like I, I've seen a lot of that like fourth quarter trailing. Uh, my issue with those stats, and it's not the stats in general, is that it was like three games that they were trailing. In. Yeah, like there, there was stats somebody brought up. They were trying. And look, I'm not saying I don't like Garoppolo. Don't don't get me wrong, but I, I, I'm just saying that to say you know for sure one way or the other, I think is is crazy. But like a lot of those stats, they were coming up. They were like 21 pass attempts, 27 pass attempts. I don't know anything about a player's talent level based on 27 pass attempts. I'm sorry, like that just I. I'm not saying that he's not that player. I'm not saying that those numbers are wrong. I'm just saying that 27 pass attempts is not enough for me to determine whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo is clutch or not. It just, I, I can't That's do that. That's a great point. That's a great point. 
And I, I know, like, and I think the problem is, is again, I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying I don't have enough information to tell me that I feel I know he's good. I have enough information now from what I've seen from Patrick Mahomes to tell me that I trust him in those scenarios. And look, if Jimmy Garoppolo in the Super Bowl against the Kansas City defense that's been playing really well down in the fourth quarter leads a drive to win them the game, I'm sold. And guess what? It doesn't matter because he's going to get a ring, and it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about him at that point. No, I mean, so, like the question is, like, is he capable of being the MVP of this game? Yes, sure. Hell yeah! But the, yeah, to, your, to your point, is it likely, or do we are we all confident in that? No, not at all. Like we're, I'm much more confident when I'm gonna see on the other side. I mean, let me ask you this: the question is, does Kyle Shanahan go like old school? I'm gonna try to run the ball a ton, keep Mahomes off the field, keep my defense fresh, like, or is it? I know I got to put up 28 points in this game. Do I? I they got to run it to play action. Jimmy G was the best play action quarterback in football, so they say. His numbers were. He threw for like 1,600 yards yeah. off play action, whatever it was. Or do they say, okay, we're going to run it enough to try to play action and try to hit him over the top and hit some scores? I, I, I that, that, to me, that dynamic right there is like, okay, how does Kyle look at this? I think you do what brought you to the dance. And I, I think you – when, when the Niners have played their best this season offensively, they have done it with a consistent rushing attack, usually primarily with one back offset by some carries here or there from others. Now, in late in, early in the year, we saw a lot of like or, or, or a lot of Matt Breida or a lot of Tevin Coleman. And then in this, from about eh, week five, six on, it was a lot of Raheem Mostert when he was healthy. I think that's when they're at their best is when they're consistently pounding the ball with success, play with one back primarily. Because when they they have had some they've had some games like in the first playoff game this year in the divisional round where they're able to use Mostert and Tevin Coleman both very effectively, but that's come back to bite them in some games where they're just trying to get too many guys work and not riding with the hot hand. Like you're not playing for anything else. Like you playing for this game, you got to ride the hot hand. Until that's why I said the NFC Championship is almost a blessing for them that Coleman got hurt, Mostert got hot, and that was like perfect. Let's just ride him out instead of trying to switch those guys, and neither one of them really gets a flow, feel for the game, that kind of thing. I agree with you. The one thing I haven't looked at is San Francisco's time of possession numbers. So I don't know if, if to my point, if, if, if Kyle wants to overly stick with it to, to shorten the game, to grind it out, to keep the Kansas City. Because here's, I mean, that was the, that was the flow of the, the Tennessee game in the first half for Kansas City, but they still went in leading. At the halftime, right? I mean, like it was, they were running it pretty successfully. Derrick Henry had like 64, 65 yards, whatever it was at the halftime. And they had the ball and they'd hit him in the mouth. But they were still losing at halftime. Like it doesn't take Kansas City long to go boom, boom, boom. So I don't, I don't know that Kyle goes, okay, yes, that is, our, that is our MO. But do they overly stick with it and not try to take those shots over the top, knowing that they got to score to keep pace? Yeah, and, and to your example, this year, uh, the uh, I believe these are just regular season stats. Uh, I, I have to check and see if postseason is included. But uh, San Francisco was fourth in the NFL in time of possession at 31-40. Makes a ton of sense. And yeah. Kansas City was 21st at around 29. Right. So, so that, that that alone says, I don't know how much that matters. Yeah, and, and but, I, but I think to your point, it, it's – to me, I'm going to be as interested to see what they do in some of these – 50-50 situations. In some of these, it's fourth and one and a half from Kansas City's 43-yard line. You're not kicking a 60-yarder. Are you going for it? Oh, you know, are you are you trying to roll out? Like, are you trying to do something weird? Are you trying to play field position? Because I think the mistake that San Francisco would make is trying to play a field position game when I don't think they have the horses to keep up with Mahomes if he gets hot. 
No, so, yeah, I agree with that. That's going to be really interesting. Kyle's a pretty aggressive guy. I can see him not go leaning towards being too conservative in the biggest game of the year. He's been around especially after look, especially what happened last time he was he was running an offense. Like I mean, I, I know that's yeah. going to get overplayed a lot, but he's got to be thinking in the back of his mind of if there's any part of him that says let's take let's play this conservatively, that thought has to come back in your head. He's got to, he's he's a human being. That thought has to come into his head. No, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And he's, he's not a conservative guy by nature. I can't imagine. And he's a, a football historian. He's seen the Sean Payton's call onside kicks coming out of the half. Some of that stuff you know, that, that's worked or that happened against him, whatever. Um, I just can't, I can't see him lean, leaning towards being conservative. And I think he knows, regardless of how good this defense is, he knows how good this Kansas City offense is. And he knows he's got to be in the upper 20s to have a chance which means they're going to have to take some shots. Jimmy G Jimmy G's going to have to play great regardless of the amount of pass attempts that he has. Yes, and I completely agree with that. And look, Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have to be San Francisco's best player for them to win this game. He just has to be among the better players for them. Like I, when when San Francisco is playing really well, it's again get to the quarterback with the front four, force interceptions and run the ball effectively. Like they can do all of these things. It's just the difference is is when you have the threat that in 20 seconds they could come back, they could just erase your 12-minute drive in 12 seconds, and we see it happen all the time with Kansas City, it's got to scare you a little bit. What about X factors? I mean, I, I look at – we haven't talked about special teams. Both kickers are really good. Uh, both punters are really solid. Although Kansas City's had two punts blocked that were big. They had one against New England. They had one uh, for a touchdown in the playoffs against Tennessee. I look yeah. at it and I still go, okay, Nicole Hardman, Tyreek Hill, whether it's a kickoff return, punt return, like they, Kansas City still has, and the young, the young kid for San Francisco has been a really good return of punts too. Um, I can't think of his name right now, something junior. Um, but, oh, Richie James. Yeah, Richie James Jr. Um, but I still think Nicole Hardman, Tyreek Hill, getting creative on special teams uh, with another veteran, one of the best special teams coaches in the league. On Kansas City, I, I just that to me, there's an X factor on Kansas City's special teams, and you've seen that in the playoffs with them getting back in games with special teams with McCall Hardman on a kickoff return. That boom, they're back at the fifty, boom, boom, they score, and uh, here we go. Right? I, I, that, to me, the biggest X factor of this game is that offense defense matchup is awesome. Kansas City's defense has to kind of do what they've done, but the X factor is what can Kansas City get at any given point. To your point, if they want to play special teams, then you're punting it to those two dudes. Yeah, and, and I think how much Kansas City uses Tyreek Hill in the in the punt return game is going to be interesting because they have they have used him at one point earlier in the postseason where they will throw him back there in the second half of games to try to spark the team a little bit. Uh, to me, that's an X factor. The other X factor to me, uh, I, I have two pieces. One is on offense, and that's with Kansas City, and it's Mikal Hardman because if if you're gonna where wherever you line up Tyreek Hill across the field, you're gonna need somebody because I think they're gonna use Tyreek Hill a lot horizontally in this matchup. They're going to try to get him across the field, and I think they're going to still need somebody on the other side to take the top off and to get one of those safeties to either look back or to hesitate, and then all of a sudden, Michael Hardman's running by somebody. So I think mm-hmm. his him going down the field vertically opens up a lot of things for Travis Kelsey in the middle of the field, and Tyree Kill to stretch the field horizontally, which I think could be a really effective strategy against the 49ers, which, again, I still think have some weaknesses in the secondary that when, they're, again, you get away from Richard Sherman's side. I mean, they're still good, but they're beatable in that spot. Uh, and then the other factor to me for San Francisco is if you get turnovers, can you turn turnovers into points without giving the ball back to Garoppolo? Can Do you get a pick six in this game? 
Do you get a, a strip sack return? Do you Are you able to put a points on the board without your offense being there? Because then all of a sudden it makes the job for Kansas City so much harder. And again, if you're just trying to do – this might be a race to who gets to who can get to 28 or who can get to 30. I mean, we both have 27 points winning this game. But if you're doing that race and you can get seven of them on defense – right out either in the first half or wherever, right out of the gate, you put the Niners in a so much better position to run the offense they want to run and to not get out of their game that it could be a humongous advantage, even more so than a normal defensive touchdown would be. Yeah, I mean, one other thing I want to talk about here is Kyle Shanahan's ability to run that script early. So who wins the coin toss? Who has the ball first in this game? To me, I think it's going to be vitally important for Kansas City to have the ball first. If they kick off to San Francisco – and Kyle puts together a 10-play, 12-play drive, and they go score a touchdown. Patrick Mahomes hadn't been on the field. And now they get a sack or a three and out or a turnover. And they can jump up like what happened to both you know, the, the, the uh, playoff games so far to Kansas City. This is a different defense than they played then. Now, I still have, the, I still have the, the faith and the ability they're going to come back, but not as easily as they did in those other games. If San Francisco jumps on them early, this is not the same defense because they're going to, they know they're, they're going to throw it anyway, but now you're like, okay, he's, we're just teeing off. He's dropping back every time. We're going to come get him. And we've seen that be a disaster for Kansas city at times at uh, this season as recently as that. I think it's important for Kansas city to get the ball first and them go score and put the heat back on them and not be able to get in the hole. Yeah. Cause when you're looking at these two teams, you want to force them into doing what they don't want to do. In San Francisco's case, they don't want to have to throw 30 plus times from behind in Kansas city's case. They probably don't want to have to run the ball. Uh, a t- I mean, they don't want to get stuck in a situation where they can't run the ball at all. And I think that the reason why you, you at least have the threat of it, right? Yes. They, look, they're not going to be able to run the ball terribly effectively. Maybe it's possible there's a there's a bad play or bad tackle and you could break one, but more often than not, they're not going to be able to run the ball effectively on San Francisco. But you have to at least pretend. And when Kansas City got in trouble this year, part of it was because Mahomes wasn't as mobile at points in the season because of the injury, but. Part of it was because teams were just teeing off. And w- when there's zero threat that any, that any of the running backs are going to do anything to you or you're going to even try, you put your quarterback, I don't care how good you are, in just a terrible position. So I, well, I let's talk about, I mean, to your point, their run game is not necessarily just traditional run game. It's a lot out of shotguns. Tyreek Hill and Michael Armin going horizontally, not just vertically. It's also Patrick Mahomes making somebody miss and then getting out on the flat, throwing it, running it, 10 yards, first down, move on. That stuff's going to be vitally important. If they're trying to run that horizontal motion stuff, but they know they're not going to run it, now you just put a dude in motion or put a dude in motion. You know San Francisco is playing zone, so the motion's not indicating it's zone or man. It's just a wasted play, and they're sitting back waiting. Now, if if you're if you can still have the threat of that, a little pop pass to Tyreek Hill, I'm calling a run, or a little bubble screen, or running it to, to Williams as a draw out of the shotgun, as long as you have the threat of that, you're fine. They can't completely just tee off and say, okay, we're just discounting the fact that you're in motion. You're not going to hand it Tyreek Hill when you're down 14 in the first half. Okay, now we're coming after you. As long as they keep that, I think they're fine. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting because I, you know, the more we talk about it, the more exciting I get, the more excited I get for this because there's just so many different factors in this game that are going to play such key roles and who get, who can get up early and, because again, if, if you're San Francisco, you don't you don't want to be in a spot where you're out of your run game. You're not going to be running the ball 75% of the time if you're down 14. And if you're Kansas City, even though you've come back from these deficits, even in this postseason, you also don't want to be so one-dimensional that these front this front four can cause so much havoc 
on a quarterback that you do not want to put yourself in that terrible situation by being forced to throw the ball 90% of the time because you're down two scores. So uh, this is going to be interesting. This is one of those ones where I could see this game being, you know, 7-7 or 14-7 after one or 0-0. I could see both these teams having this little feeling out period too early on. Like I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I'm as, as high on everybody as, as this being a really high scoring shootout in the over. It was one of the things I thought I took from the week that I thought was really interesting. And that's people talking about Super Bowl experience and that San Francisco has eight guys and Kansas City has two, whatever it was. I love what Richard Sherman said. Our first Super Bowl at Seattle, we had no no Super Bowl experience either. We won 48 6 or whatever it was. He kicked the shit out of Peyton Manning and the Broncos from the jump, right? Didn't have any experience didn't matter he's like it's a game I, I love what he said because it totally says okay can you know kansas city it, it doesn't matter like they it's been 50 years all that the hype i just love what he said what do you what do you think about that because it's been lots been made that they have more super bowl experience and all that but he, to me he squashed that notion when he threw that out there because i went yeah you did because you d- destroyed the, the broncos in that super bowl yeah I think you can make the narrative fit whatever you want it to be. And I think that's part of the problem. You can say, you know, Super Bowl experience matters because, you know, you, you don't get as hyped up for the moment. You're not going to get worried. You're going to be able to, you've been in this situation before. You know what to expect. You know how to handle all the things that lead up to the week, all of that stuff. You could also say that the two guys that haven't been there don't know what the situation is. They don't know how hard it is to win or how hard it is to get back. And they're playing looser. So and you can make the narrative uh, fit either way. I'll I mean, tell you what I what I do think matters is coaching. Yes. I, I think, think Andy Reid being there before helps. I think Kyle Shanahan being there as a coordinator helps. I, th- I think coach it helps with coaching. And I think if it does help, it might help on the first couple drives. But I think there's a point, and a lot of players have talked about this. Again, I, I, I never played above high school. I'm not speaking from my own experience. I'm speaking from players I've talked to. Uh, that there's a point where it just starts to become another game. Absolutely. While you're playing. So maybe it helps the first couple drives. I think it's more likely to help you not be distracted in the two weeks leading up. That's a great, that's exactly where I was going is that first week is so much BS of we have, you know, your normal game, you have five or six people there. You got some family in town. You got your in-laws coming in. You got your aunt, your aunt, your uncle, whoever it is. You got a couple people to deal with, right? Now you got 20 Super Bowl tickets and everybody you've ever met expects one. And the coaches that have been there before, I think both staffs did a hell of a job of this. You heard both teams talking about it. And, and you know when, when quarterbacks or players on your team are repeating what the coach told you in your meeting, and you can tell. Patrick Mahomes is like, look, we're going to focus on that this week, and then we're going to get into doing what we do. That, that's where it matters. Because this is the craziest two weeks of the year when you're talking about you've been going, 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 and you don't have the same stuff if you have the bye in the first round of the playoffs. There's so much crap that goes into this. Both teams are traveling. Everybody's coming. All the hype and all that stuff. And then the second week, you go back to game week. Right? You put in the game plan. You go back to just being normal. Who handles that better is vitally important. I think, I think, and I think that's really interesting to see what both of them wanted to do. I think Andy Reid has an edge there. Yeah. And look, you talk about guys with a ton of experience. I mean, Andy Reid's been in the Super Bowl before. Hell, I mean, Kyle Shanahan grew up around the Super Bowl when his dad was there. And I don't think you can discount that. I mean, no. people do all the time, but it's like – I go back to – and I'm not comparing this, but we, we kind of grew up the same way. But I go back to, like, being around some of these coaches. When I was a kid, Tony Dungy, Bill Cower, Marty Schottenheimer, 
and watching them handle stuff and then watching them as I grew up still coaching, they were the same dudes then. Like that personality stays with you through your coaching career. Yes, you you grow, but you can't discount Kyle watching what his dad did and all the guys that were on those staffs. And whether or not he consciously thinks about, okay, I remember this happened and when I was nine years old, maybe not, but it's been there the whole time. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that there's definitely an X factor there in him that makes him a damn good coach year round. But I think it's going to be huge in this game as well. It's, there's well, so it, many fun storylines here. Yeah, it, it becomes part of who you are. It just, yes, even if it's it just a simple notion of it feels natural, it can, can mean so much. If just like, oh, okay, I've been around this. You, you hear almost like, it works the same way for if you're, let's say, a, a military kid and you end up going into the service. You kind of already, like, you already have been living under a mentality. Like, there are certain things that just don't catch you by surprise. There are certain right. things that you just become second nature to you because you've been around it your entire life. And that, that applies here as well. Uh, to, so, to me, I think once you get about midway through the first quarter, I don't think there's any on-field advantage if there's any to begin with. No, I don't uh, think so either. But handling the, the BS and the good and the bad and the... You know, the guys that are dressed up as Christmas trees asking you dumb questions at NFL Media Day. I mean, it, being able to know what that is uh, going in is always helpful. So you're like, okay, I know what to expect. I'm not caught off guard. Because you always see every year there are a couple guys that just that just don't know how – just quite frankly how stupid some of this stuff is. Yeah. Uh, it happens over the week and a half before you get really into start implementing your game plan. Uh, and they're just kind of like they're flustered or they're, they're, they're upset or they don't know. And the guys are like, roll with the punches and know, okay, this is just part of the obligation of being here. Let's just get through this and get back to football. But uh, I, I will go back to something you said, though, while we're talking about the two coaches. Which one of them is more likely to do something out of their norm? And I think that's Kyle more than Andy. And I go back to some of the decisions. Uh, uh, Harbaugh in the playoffs, the two fourth and ones that they went for all year – I've been on the record on the show saying I was not a fan. The playoffs are a different beast. That's who he is. He went with the analytics, all that kind of stuff. But to your point earlier, are they going to play a field position game or is Kyle going to go for it on fourth and one and a half from Kansas City's 47? And Which I, one I, of them is more likely to get outside of their, their box? I think it's Kyle more than Andy, and I don't know that it's good. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And I don't think it's so – like if, if that happens, I think the lazy narrative is going to be about what happened when the Falcons were in the Super Bowl and, and the comeback. That they yeah, don't you save all that. That's all BS, man. Kyle caught a hell of a game. That was not on him that they lost. If he gets out of his game plan, it's because he's facing the best quarterback in the world and one of the greatest offensive minds in NFL history on the other sideline. That can, And if that is what can cause you, I always believe that it is easier in general. Again, these are generalizations, but it's easier to take a defensive team out of their game plan that is to take an offensive team out of their game plan like Kansas City. Now, that can change because it's just so easy for if Kansas City wins the coin toss, gets the ball at 7 nothing, and you're looking up at the clock and there's 12 minutes left in the first quarter and you're already losing by a touchdown. It's the tendency to try to change becomes so much easier in that case versus the other way around. But uh, it's going to be exciting to see because somebody – I want to see who takes over this game. What unit takes over this game? Can the front four for San Francisco take over this game? Can one of the receivers for Kansas City take over this game? Does Raheem Mostert take over? Does one of the two – we haven't even spent much time talking about the two best tight ends in football that are playing in this game. I, I, I want to see what unit says, okay, this is where the major advantage – this is this is the swing point for this game because it could be San Francisco's front four. Because if, if they play like they did against most of the teams in the league this year, 
they're going to cause a lot of problems. They will allow Kyle Shanahan and, and the San Francisco offense to do exactly what they want to do if all goes well. Absolutely. I, I think it's very worth noting, too, that Kansas City's offensive line is healthy. They, they yeah. were not halfway through the year when they went through that stretch. They got healthy late, and they're, they're as healthy as they've been all year. They're going to have to play good to have any chance in this game. Man, this is going to be so much fun. I hope this game lives up to all the storylines and all the hype. It, even if it doesn't, it's still the best two teams we could have gotten in the Super Bowl. Like, yeah, yeah you can talk about Super Bowl one and the Green Bay Chiefs. I, that's, that's a cool storyline. These were the two teams that deserved to go. And they're both healthy for the most part. I mean, it's, it's just – and I just love that one was a grinded out, unique – you know, I love that Kyle took his dad's zone run scheme that Gary Kubiak and his dad ran, and he put it on steroids and changed it and modernized it, but it's still based off of that stretch zone run scheme. But he added so many nuances with all these motions and all this stuff. And then you got Andy Reid, who's always been an offensive guy, but he's kind of been – with Patrick Mahomes because of him, the guy that takes a lot of this high flying college stuff and puts it into a veteran NFL version. It's just so much fun. I whatever we get in this game is going to be awesome. I'm just glad that it's this two teams. I really think these were the best two all year that could have got here. Uh, I'm glad you said that because regardless of the result, I don't care if this game ends 48 to nothing. This, this was the best matchup. These are the two best teams. This should have been, uh, this should have been the Super Bowl matchup. I'm glad the guy, everybody is pretty much healthy. Uh, for the most part, on these two teams, and, and I'm just I'm really looking forward to this. I, I imagine it's going to be a good game. Um, I, I don't really see a blard happening, but uh, I'm I'm just so excited, uh, so excited to get here. Uh, I try to shut out a lot of the noise for the two weeks. I think just so many things get dissected, so many things that don't matter. Uh, I'm just happy to be here. You know, I predicted 27-23. You said 27-24, both for Kansas City. Uh, Jake, do you have any other parting thoughts before we sign off heading into Super Bowl 54? Enjoy. I can't wait to see what the TV ratings are. Because I, I, don't, I don't care which team is. The chain of Kansas City gets up, nobody's turning it off. And if, if San Francisco gets way up, nobody damn sure turning it off. You've seen it from Kansas City. So I, I can't wait to see uh, what, the, what the TV ratings are. And I, I, for the first time, I'm actually going to be wanting to pay attention to halftime with Shakira and J-Lo um, out there doing the halftime show. It should be a lot of fun in Miami as well. Yeah, I'm just – I'm ready for kickoff. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm ready at this point. I'm ready to see these two teams do battle. I'm ready to watch the, as I said earlier, the the premier matchup. Every time Kansas City has the ball and San Francisco's on defense, that is a must see. That is the best the NFL has to offer in terms of unit on unit, and I just cannot wait to see it. Uh, so I, I'm really excited. I'm really excited. We'll come back next week and talk about uh, the new Super Bowl champions, uh, what it means going into next year, and then leading into what might be the wildest free agency run that in recent memory uh, for the NFL. Uh, I just can't, I can't wait. So uh, again, make sure you follow the show at TDN fantasy underscore. You can follow Jake at Jake Bearians, myself at Jamie Eisner. You can follow Paige who's in Miami right now at the underscore sports page. We will be back next week. Uh, good luck to the chiefs. Good luck to the 49ers and enjoy your Sunday filled with Super Bowl football. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.